0: Big idea. The next four weeks, you're going to see four videos from people here in our church, part of our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to hear from them because theology can't stay in an ivory tower. There's a lot of people online. There's a lot of people out there with big words and good ideas, but theology, the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken his words into his people, and by his spirit, his people, his church are supposed to smack. This world in the face, God's word, doesn't just stay in the air. It's not at the real. It's not just an ideology. It's not just a good idea. God's word really changes lives. It changes realities. We wanted Scott to show a video because I remember when this young kid working out, cutting grass, started coming to church. And I remember when the gospel changed his life and I was there when he was baptized and Lily was baptized and now uh, his children have been dedicated here. The gospel changes lives, not just for a moment, but the entire trajectory of a life. He changed my life. How many of you in here, he changed your life? Come on! The gospel changes lives and that's what we're doing here. Welcome to Vision Series 2023. Oh, Amen, yeah. Hey, yeah. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. It's hard to be a church when nobody's here. <laughs> I'm excited about this year. As you look on the screens, we call this Vision Series Remember. Why? Because this whole year, I mean, we finished up Exodus. And three times in Exodus, God spoke to Moses, and then Moses to the people with this command to remember why Egyptian slavery. So God's people could remember God's work of salvation, God's work of deliverance and teach it to their children, generation after generation after generation, three times the command of God in Exodus to remember. We were in Revelation the past several weeks through Advent, two different times to those seven churches. God says, remember. Remember the height from which you've fallen and repent. Here's the big idea with remember because it's new year and new diet and new workout strategy. And woo! How many of you already cheated? Bunch of sinners. <laughs> right? These new years, it's new schedules, new formats. But the reality is in a new year, we don't really need something new. What we need has already been done. What we need has already been spoken. Paul in the New Testament has the ministry of calling God's people to remembrance. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians. Remember, uh, oh, we see Paul in Timothy uh, telling the young pastor of the church of Ephesus, remember the gospel that I have proclaimed to you. So this year, these four weeks, and by the way, if you're new or visiting, thanks for coming. Every January, we take four weeks to make sure that we're all on the same page, moving in the same direction. The rest of the year, we're in books of the Bible. In February, we start 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians for 38 weeks this year. Woo! And I can't wait. Man, 1 Corinthians starts out with a punch. As God confounds the wisdom of this world. Woo, I love it. Because the world's so smart, they're stupid, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> up is down and down is up. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father, we love you this morning. Lord Jesus, in this time is precious to us, not only because we gather together, Lord, your presence has already been with us as we have worshiped you. Truly, you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for a church that sings, to be part of a, a people who sing and who worship and who love you. But Lord Jesus, now as we focus on your word, and more importantly, Your instructions for us here on planet earth. Lord Jesus, just like you spoke to those churches in Revelation where we have drifted, bring us back. Father, mission drift occurs in every organization on the planet, including the church. So, Father, refocus us, re-energize us, Re-empower us to be your people on planet earth. Your church, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. May we be the salt that you've called us to be to preserve this place until you are coming. It is in Jesus' name and every Christian said, amen. amen. Now, let's begin this first Sunday of our vision series with what is Vision. What is the vision of a church? What is the mission? What are we doing here? This can't just be some social obligation where we gather once a week. This isn't some club where we pay dues to be a member of or to join. It's not a a social status symbol. It's not a notch on the belt. There's something more at work in the church of Jesus Christ. There's a reason we gather and so many times we forget the reason. So many times we're blinded by so many other things that call and pull for our affections. But our priorities as God's people must be numero uno, God first, then family, then our work, careers in the world. God must be first in our lives So what are we doing here? Why does the church exist? And many of you, as we go through these four weeks, I hope that you will walk away with a clear, systematic understanding of the church and the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world through the power of His Spirit, through His people. Because here's what I know, and here's what you probably already know. If you ask, if you go out and you ask 10 people, what is a church? What does a church do? You'll probably get 11 different answers. But God has spoken and he's told us exactly what we are to be about. Now listen, and, and, and don't automatically get offended. Listen to everything I have to say right here. <laughs> Just a lot of good things people give their lives to. and Lord knows, we get asked all the time a lot of good causes. right Many of you probably heard this week about Josh Proctor passing away, longtime friend and and member of Four points church forty six years old, too young. right there are all kinds of Oh, well, his memorial service is tomorrow, by the way, in Cartersville. If you want information, we can get that to you. There's all kinds of anti-cancer organizations and groups raising money, raising awareness. It's a good organization, amen. Breast cancer awareness. I'm all about saving the Tatas. Just lost three members right there. Lord, help us get back on track. Men, we get asked all the time, can we pass out information? Can we pass out literature? Can you organize your church to be part of this or that? And, and look, there's a 1,000 nonprofits just in our area, and praise God, they're all good, and there's feeding programs, and, and there's uh, uh, poverty programs, and praise God for all of them. You're part of them. I'm, uh, Sarah and I are, are part of a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to salute a flag. We're not here to, uh, to, to, to do some thing out there, some social good thing. No, we're here for a specific. We're the only organization in the world. We're the only institution, the only organism in the world that God has called to steward the most important truth. And that's why that important truth has to be the main thing every day, every week, every Sunday, every time we come together. It's got to be priority. And here it is, the mission, why we gather Matthew chapter 28 beginning in verse 18. You've heard this before if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus Christ comes, lives, dies, raises from death. And is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father to be in session. Praying for his people to carry out this message right now. Here, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's what that means. There's no greater purpose. There's no greater message. There's nothing more important that you could give your life to. Everything is wrapped up in what I am fixing. There's no higher power. There's nothing above, beside, or or below. This is it. This is what I want you to do, Jesus tells his disciples. Go. Now, when I was in fifth grade, they taught me the difference between nouns, adjectives, and verbs. Go is an action word. It's a verb. It's why as much as I love. And again, don't get offended till the end. <laughs> I love you, Presbyterian brethren. But the frozen chosen is not what we're supposed to be known as. Go is an, it's not just right thinking. Orthodoxy, it's orthopraxy, right? Doing, it's taking what God says and doing something with it. Go, therefore. And think about this. What if these 12 ragtag, mostly blue-collar dudes didn't do what Jesus told them to do? Think about this. It's only been a couple hundred years Since Christianity came to the shores of this new world. Just a couple hundred years ago, there were no churches in North America. What if God's people didn't go? But they did. They obeyed God and that's why we are here this morning because God's people are obeying God's word. They're fulfilling the mission that God gave them to fulfill. Most of the time at the cost of their own lives. Go therefore and what is the church to do? Make disciples. Today and for the next three weeks, we want to unfold for you the process of how we make disciples in the year 2023 here in Ackworth and in Cartersville and anywhere else. The the Lord may give us gospel influence and gospel reach. We are called to be active in making disciples. Not having a service. Not just uh, uh, having a gathering. Not just being a group of people. But we are to be active in making disciples. And then God expands that to tell us uh, that just isn't uh, somebody praying a prayer. There's more to it. There's more to being a disciple. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, and by the way, just so you know, Christianity begins in the European area, the cradle of life, Macedonia, all uh, Egypt. Right, God begins to work in the peoples, and throughout all of Europe, the gospel spreads thanks to the Romans, or God chose the perfect time in history for Jesus to come and that gospel to spread. And all over the the northern regions of the world, the gospel begins to to go forth in North America. And now the gospel is in the southern hemisphere. You know where the gospel is growing? You know where revival is happening right now? And this isn't part of the sermon, just so you know. great book called The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins. It's in South America where we're at work in Ecuador planning. We're on like our fourth church plant in Ecuador right now. Praise God, amen. The gospel's growing. People are getting saved. People are hearing and coming. And churches are growing. It's in the the southern part of Africa, Australia. There's revival happening. The whole world will hear, the Bible says. And we are seeing that fulfillment in our very day and age. The entire world hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the church goes and makes disciples, baptizing them. Why do we have this metal horse trough? Thank you. Somebody knew the word wasn't in my head and I was struggling. Why do we have this bathtub up here? <laughs> right? Because Jesus said there's got to be this physical, present reality where we publicly display that we are dead to sin in the ground. Jesus goes, and we go under that water representing death, but we come up alive just like that resurrection power of Jesus Christ as the tomb rolls away. And and why are you sad? He's not here. He is risen. We rise up out of the water, new in Christ Jesus. Make disciples. Once they believe in Jesus, baptize them publicly as a profession of their faith in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're still not done. Because you could do that in a day, right? So why are, we, why, why are the continu- continuous gathering? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you This is who we are. This is why we exist. Now let me show you. I had Ray put something together for you. You guys are going to love this. Show that graphic of our disciple making process. Yeah. (laughs) And all the Last Kingdom fans say, Yeah. Christ is all. We've got four points here. How how do we make disciples? And again, if you ask 10 different people, you might get 11 different opinions. But when I study the Bible, and for 25 years I've been studying the Bible, and this is what I see when I study the Bible, I see that God initiates everything. Nobody's looking for God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter three, no one seeks God, not one. You might say, well, there's a lot of spiritual people. There's a lot of people who, who, it's Dr. Who, just in case anybody doesn't know. There is a lot of spiritual people because we are created in the image of God, right? So we're not just emotion. We're not just physical. We're not just mental, We are spiritual beings created in his image and likeness. So yeah, there's a lot of spiritual people, but the Bible is true. No one is seeking. People are seeking spiritual benefits. People are seeking things that spirituality can do for them, for, for the peace and security that we all long for in this life full of thorns and thistles. But the Bible says no one seeks for God. Now, when you study the Bible, notice this. When anyone does something for God, what happens first? Does Moses show up in Egypt on his own accord saying, hey, all this injustice, we got to stop this, set my brethren free? No, Moses is on the backside of a desert just thankful he has a wife and hasn't been caught by Egypt because he's on the lamb. He's not seeking God. It was God that was seeking him. It was God who came to Moses. It was God who came to David. It was God who came to Isaiah. It was God. Matthew is a tax collector sitting there doing his own thing. It was Jesus who came to Matthew. It was Jesus who came to James, Peter, Paul, John. It was God who came to Paul. Paul's out doing his own thing, kicking against the goats. It was God who comes and interjects himself, which is why the disciple-making process begins with love, not our love, but his love for for us. Just like in the video, you saw Edwards say, you know, I was going to go to church. I needed, you know, I started a business. I need people to think I'm a good person. He wasn't looking for God, but God looks for us. God comes all the way down for us. This is love, not our love. Our love comes later. First his love. We love him because He first loved us. Love is about God loving us. This begins the disciple making process. How does God come after us? Through His gospel. How will they know? unless there's someone there to tell them, unless there's a preacher, Hebrews 10 says. So this morning, we are going to talk about the gospel itself, how God interrupts the lives of men and women, right? how he always has and how he always will. And how it's his gospel that changes and transforms us and begins moving us. Now notice that movement of discipling. That is an arrow moving us into the next thing. Because what happens after God interrupts Moses' life? Well then Moses does something afterward. There's a response. Response leads us to Devotion which leads us to doing something with our hands, passion, which leads us to leaving a mark on this world for Jesus Christ that lasts long after we are gone. Love lives on. That's our legacy piece. And that's what we want. Listen, with Proctor dying this past week, 46 years old, right now, understand this. Scripture says... All human life is is like a flower of a field. It's there, it blooms, and then it's gone like a vapor. It's there for a moment and gone the next. Right now, we are in the prime. We are in our prime. We We have bloomed in the field, but we won't be here forever. We've got to make sure the seeds we plant are grounded in the gospel so that when we are gone, the gospel is still blooming in the field for all the world to see, for this is what God has called the church to do until He returns. Now put up John 3:16. mission of the church begins right here, remembering the main thing, why we're gathered? It is to proclaim God's love for us. God interjecting himself into this world. God beginning the process of salvation in the hearts and lives of men and women. And the gospel is, here's good news, the gospel is simple. Everybody just praise God. The gospel is simple. Look at John 3, 16. We've all heard it. We've all seen it on bumper stickers. We've seen rainbow hair at ball games. (laughs) Remember that? The gospel is so simple, a five-year-old can understand it. That's how good God is. It's so simple. A five-year-old can understand the gospel, which is why it's never too early to begin teaching your children. If they can read Dr. Seuss, which is canceled because he's a racist, so if they can read The Giving Tree, you can explain the gospel to them because God made his gospel simple. Martin Luther, the great reformer, the great intellectual, the doctorate of ministry... Who saw the gospel more clear than the Catholic Church 500 years ago and created a revival called the Reformation, where people came back to what God said rather than what man spoke. Because men are not in control of this, this is in control of us. Amen. That's the difference between Catholics and Protestants, if you didn't know. He said, John 3 16 is the gospel in miniature. The easiest, most simplistic understanding of the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. Here's how simple the gospel is. And for those of you who are new Christians, here's what you need to get. Here's what you need to know. Here's here's some things you need to understand when you're proclaiming the gospel to your friends. Number one, four things. Number one, God loved. So easy. God loved. So God gave. We didn't do anything. It was God who loved and it was God who gave. It was God who built the bridge. We didn't build half of it to Him and He built the other half. He built the whole bridge all the way to where we are because we couldn't get to Him any other way. God loved, so God gave. So what do we do? We believe. We have. Isn't the gospel simple? Isn't it beautiful? God loved, so we gave. We believe, we receive. If you want to be a Roman Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Love, gave, believe, rece- have. Straight out of the Bible. This is the gospel. Here's, the, here's an even more beautiful thing about it. The gospel grows as we, we don't... St- Praise God for John three sixteen. Praise God for the gospel being simple enough for anyone to be able to grasp it and hold it and receive salvation by it. But what happens after we believe that God loves and gives and we believe so we have? What happens after? The gospel grows as we grow. The gospel is simple, but it doesn't stay simple. I have been studying the Bible for since I was 21, I'm 46. You do the math. A long time, decades. Every time I open the Bible, I learn something new. Not new as in new information, but I see a a picture of the gospel deeper and more clearly than I ever have before. The gospel grows as we grow. It's so simple a five-year-old can understand, but it is so complex and deep and beautiful that a man can give his life to it and never exhaust its beauty. The Puritans had a saying, the gospel is like a diadem, a glorious shining diamond brilliantly cut. And every time you think you get a picture of it, you turn it just a bit and the light shines through and the prisms change. And it becomes more glorious each time you take a little turn as you gaze upon it. The gospel is simple, but you will never exhaust its power. You'll never exhaust its beauty. You'll never uh, never, uh, be less fascinated by it the more that you look deeply into it. So God loved, he gave, we believe, we have. But as we grow, we come into a deeper understanding of just exactly how God loved and what he gave. And these next six points, the gospel grows as we grow. This is how I teach the gospel to my kids. I've been teaching them this since 2008 in this fashion. Every Monday, uh, our devotion for the week, we sit down and I make them quote to me these six points. And everybody in this room, now I know we have curriculum and they have five points back there. And they are great, but I was doing this first and I'm sticking with it. So do that or do this. But you understand this for yourself. Teach it to your children and everyone who will listen to you. The gospel is simple. Start with John 3:16. but move here as you grow in maturity, because we're, we're to be teaching, we're to learn everything we can in this human life about what God has done, how He loved. The gospel begins like this as we grow. We, we understand. That God, point number one of the gospel, God created everything good. How do we know? And these verses here, there's dozens and dozens of verses throughout the Bible for each one of these. But I picked the most simple ones. To teach my kids so they would all, I know they're going to school. James is already in school. Uh, Abby is heading off uh, out of the home next year after one more semester. I know they're going to get bombarded. I want them to be able to open their Bibles and know that they know that they know that God's word says this. So nobody can trick them. No one can deceive them. Simple. How do we know God made everything good? Genesis 131. God looked out over all that he had made on the sixth day. And behold, it was very good. How many of you remember, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you remember that little magnet on your mom's fridge that said, God don't make no junk. Anybody? Just me. (laughs) By the way, if you're new or visiting, this is what it looks like for a grunge baby to try to dress up. (laughs) This is... This is about the best I can do. <laughs> God made everything good. When we look out our window, this is, this is important to understand. Gospel's simple, but we grow because eventually you're going to ask yourself a question. What's wrong with this world in which we live? We look out our windows. We look into our television sets or, or now into our iPads or iPhones or Samsungs, or Galaxies, Woo. (laughs) I gotta hurry. And we know something's wrong. We know in our own lives, the hurts, the pains, the sorrows, the tribulations that we experience. Why would God allow these things to happen if he's good? Point number, you need to know, when God created all things, it was very good, which leads us to the second point of the gospel. Well, what's the problem then? We are. We're the problem. We're the cancer eroding the good things that God has created. It is our sin, starting with Adam and Eve, ending with each and every one of us. None are exempt. We sinned and messed everything up. Yes, Democrats and Republicans alike, we messed it all up. How do we know, Brent? How can you know that that's true? Romans 3:23 and Romans 6:23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, 6:23, is death. We're the ones that brought the darkness. You guys remember never-ending story? We're the reason that nothing is coming. It's our fault. God said do this and we said not. We think we have a better plan and we rebelled against God and sin enters the world and sin corrupts everything and sin brings hurt and pain and sin brings thorns and thistles. It's our fault. Regardless who you can think of. Billy Graham's fault, Mother Teresa's fault, Charlemagne's fault, Constantine's fault. Donald Trump's fault, Joe Biden's fault, my fault, your fault. We are the problem. God created everything good. We messed it up by doing our own thing instead of what God said. So what can be done? Well, in our power, nothing. But God enacts a plan of salvation. Third point of the gospel, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived the perfect life that we have not. How do you know, Brent? John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And 2 Corinthians five twenty one, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way a broken relationship between God and man could be reestablished is if some human would come and live the perfect life, satisfying every righteous requirement of God's word, of God's law, so no human could, so God left eternity, left a throne, and came all the way down and wrapped, humbled himself, wrapped himself in the flesh of a baby in a manger and grew up and lived the perfect life that we had not. What, what what, did that do? That made him the only one who could fulfill the fourth point of the gospel. He died in our place for our sin. Penal for all the ivory tower. Penal substitutionary atonement. There's a penalty for sin and Jesus pushed us out of the way and stepped into our place and became the propitiate. He satisfied the wrath of God. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. He takes all of our sin upon himself and the wrath of God satisfies it while giving imputing to us all of his righteousness. Our ontological beings are changed in the gospel from sinners to saints, from unrighteous to righteous in Christ's Jesus, who takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Not just, yeah, if you're going to clap, that's a good one to clap for. All our sin. Every white lie told by you as a five-year-old, I don't know how that lamp got broke. Everything right now, presently, your sin Every sin you're going to commit, past, present, and future, through Christ Jesus, we are, have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Because He died. And how do you know, Brent? Simplest, this is, I love First Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Simplest, simplest verse in the Bible. He died for our sins. In Anybody that comes to you is like, I don't believe in penal substitutionary. I don't think Jesus had to die on the cross. I think it was more of an example than it was any kind of substitutionary. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It wasn't a new thought. God had told, prophesied his people for over a thousand years that this is what the Messiah would do. In accordance with the Scripture, Jesus came and fulfilled everything and died in our place for our sins. Okay, so great. We've got a dead Savior. It doesn't end there. How do we know our sins are really forgiven if he's dead in a tomb? Fifth point of the gospel, he doesn't stay dead. On the third day, the Spirit of God raises him Back to life. The stone rolls away. The angels sing and rejoice, and the people are astonished because nobody comes back from the dead yet save Jesus Christ. He rose conquering sin, death, and hell. We know that we know that we know that we are saved from our sins because no enemy, not one, could defeat our Lord Jesus, not even death itself. All our enemies are conquered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear. Amen. I could get charismatic right now. It's good news. That's why it's called good news. Then, now notice, God, 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 God. except for number two. We're the ones that messed everything up. It's God, 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 God. Devotion leads us into our response to what God has done when we hear this. When God interjects into our lives what he has done by his spirit. Hearts of stone become hearts of flesh. And this is our response. This is the response you should see from anyone who is called through the gospel to the salvation of God. Confession, repentance, and belief. And again, we go to John three sixteen. We believe we have. Believing what God has done. Not what we do. Not believing in ourselves to be the right kind of people to come to God. No, believing in what God has done. God loves, so he gave. We believe we have eternal life. Romans 10:9. If you believe in your heart and confess, if you're in this room this morning, you're like, how do I, how, how do I get this God? How do I, what do I do to be saved? How do I know this God who has done all these things? Believe in your heart that he has done all these things and confess with your mouth, Romans 10 and 9 says, that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. Aren't you glad Romans 10 and 9 doesn't say, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and give me seven Hail Marys and flog yourself a good 30 minutes? I thank God every day I'm not Catholic. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And the word repentance, I, didn't, I forgot to put it up there, but in Acts chapter 3, the first sermon of the New Testament church after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, Apostle Peter comes out and he says, believe and repent. It's repent means to turn from our sins and follow Christ. This, the gospel is simple, but as we come to Christ and as we grow in our understanding of the Lord, the gospel becomes more complex as we grow and as we mature, and it becomes more intricate and more beautiful, and you never exhaust it. Show that last slide. I got two and a half minutes. Awesome. Third thing I want you to understand about this gospel that begins the process of disciple-making for everyone. And it's why we proclaim the gospel every Sunday. It doesn't matter if we're in Revelation talking about seven ancient churches. We're hearing the gospel to us. It doesn't matter if we're in Exodus about an event that happened thousands of years ago in history. Isn't it awesome how we saw Jesus in the Exodus? How we saw Jesus uh, in Pharaoh and in the plagues? How we saw Jesus in the wilderness wanderings? How we saw Jesus in deliverance from the Amalekites? How we saw Jesus in water coming from the rock? How we saw Jesus and Mount Sinai? Jesus is everywhere. The gospel is everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. All Scripture points to this. If you're reading the Bible, doesn't matter, you may be in Job, but if you can't see the Gospel and Jesus in Job, then you're reading the Bible wrongly. Well, Brent, I just don't believe that. They didn't even know Jesus' name back then. John chapter 5, put it up. Jesus said this to the religious Jews of the day who would say something like that. What do you mean you're the Messiah? Why should we trust you? Why should we believe you? I mean you're doing all these uh, none of us can walk on water and you did, but you know, why should we believe you? Jesus told them, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life." Look, this book can't save you. This is paper put together by a publisher A good publisher, Crossway, one of my favorite Christian publishers. But Crossway can't save you. Books can't save you. But what is written in this, the scriptures alone, this is not God. But it contains the words that God speaks. And the words that God speaks, the scriptures alone can't do it. But if you believe what the scripture says, it is the message of the gospel in the scriptures that save the only power that can save the Holy Spirit through God's words. But he tells the Jews who are just intellectually in their ivory tower, they have the thing memorized. You can memorize the Bible and go to hell. Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that just knowing them will give you eternal life. But you've missed the point. You, you can read this and miss the point. Because Jesus says, you search the scriptures and say, have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You, you, read, you know the scriptures, but you've missed the point of the scriptures. The scriptures are about me. Look at verse 46. Jesus says again, same chapter, if you believed in Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What books did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. You'll never find Jesus' name. Jesus, you'll never find his name in those books, but Jesus tells us, Moses wrote about me. As we proclaim the gospel, as we believe the gospel, as we confess the gospel, as we repent of our sins as a result of the gospel, as we continue to proclaim the gospel, what we're going to find out is every time we open the Bible, we see the gospel through the many themes throughout. Put that uh, screen up one last time. There are tons of themes throughout Scripture that show us the gospel. From the Old Testament and the New, there's the theme. My favorite is the theme of home and exile. Starts in the garden. God creates this perfect place. Adam and Eve sin against God. So what happens? Exile. Happens again to Israel. God gives them this land. They disobey God. What happens? Exile. But there's always a homecoming. There's home, exile, and then God bringing his people back home. We see it in the prodigal son in the New Testament. A lot of themes that show the gospel. The theme of the door is this beautiful theme throughout. Again, the gospel is simple. The gospel grows as we grow. And before long, you can't look at anything in the Bible without seeing the gospel. And just let's take one really quick. The ark door. What does this theme of the door of the ark teach us about the gospel? It teaches us that the gospel is time sensitive. Hear me. As we close, hear me. Everyone. Just like in our day and age right now, no one is seeking God, not one. All are unrighteous. All fall short of the glory of God. This was just like it was in the days of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. It took him over 100 years to build that ark. And the whole time, Noah was preaching the righteousness of God and repent and turn from your sins and come to God. But the people wouldn't listen. Instead, the people mocked, much like the world mocks us today. I heard this little turd, oh, he was on some night, you know, big famous guy, and he was like, oh yeah, I guess people, uh, in, there's L.A. and there's New York, and everybody in between may believe in a devil, but we're smart enough in these great Hollywood cities to know better. This is just like it was in the days of Noah. Nobody believed in the priest. They, they, they ridiculed him, they mocked Noah. But then something happened. God said, it's time, Noah, get your family in the ark. And Noah and his family went into the ark. And the Bible says, God, shut the door of the ark. And once that door was shut, guess what? Raindrops begin to fall. And when the raindrops begin to fall, and when the rain began to accumulate, the wicked world looked over at the ark and said, maybe Noah knew a little something. And they went to the ark, and they're beating on the sides of the door. They're beating on the ark, and they're saying, Noah, let us in. We're going to drown. The Bible says, once God shuts the door, it is shut, and no man can open it. Here's why this is important. Just like in the Old Testament, it was time-sensitive. The ark was there, and it was open. Come in. Be saved. Come to God, repent of your sin. But once the ark was shut, there was no more time for repentance. There was no more time when God shuts the ark. It's shut, not going to be opened again. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Right now is the day of salvation. Right now is our time under the sun in our generation to proclaim this gospel, the greatest message ever known, the greatest story ever told, the only way. There's only one door, and it's Jesus. And he's good to provide a clear path unto the salvation that he has provided. Hear the gospel this morning. For there is a time when the candle will be blown out. Just like in the days of Noah when the door shuts, it's over. There is going to be a trumpet that sounds. The Lord Jesus Christ will return. And if you have not believed and confessed and repented in Christ Jesus at that horn blow, you will find yourself on the other side of the door of the ark. Which is why Jesus says, come now all you who labor and are weary and I will give you rest. Hear the gospel this morning. Saints, be encouraged in this gospel in which we believe. Sinners, hear the gospel and run to the Savior, Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will take your sin. He will erase your shame. He will wipe away your guilt. You will be made new in Christ Jesus the moment in which you believe. And may we as a church move forward in making disciples, never forgetting that apart from the gospel, all we do is garbage. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I am so thankful this morning that your church does not depend on me Your church, I praise God for leadership. I praise God for elders you put in place. But ultimately, your church does not depend on elders. It doesn't depend on deacons. It doesn't even depend on the membership. The men and women who sit here this morning. Lord Jesus, our full dependence is upon you. Apart from you, apart from what you have done, we are lost. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for continuing to build us up in your truth that we may be the city on the hill you've called us to be. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.